Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves by studying His Word. Well, welcome to week three of Unlocking the Truth uh, podcast in the study of First John uh, this time through. We're excited to uh, unpack chapter 2, verses 1 to 11 uh, today, really looking at a couple of principles uh, one being that of um, Jesus being our advocate, and, and the second looking at um, propitiation, the word propitiation. So uh, before we dig into the scriptures today and see what the Lord has for us, would uh, you join me in praying? Father, we do thank you for today. We thank you for uh, the opportunity to uh, study your word. We thank you for um, the truth that comes from it. And Father, the principles that we study and we look at, would you open our eyes and our our minds to what uh, you want us to hear in all of this. So Father, again, thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. So here we are, uh, 1 John. Uh, what a great study in 1 John. I, uh, we're into the third week here. I'm thoroughly enjoying uh, what uh, we are um, studying last week. Derek uh, took you through the, uh, or the last time we were together, Derek took you through the uh, second um, part of uh, the podcast, and now back here to look at uh, these first eleven verses. And uh, John starts out um, with another one of those. Here's why I'm writing to you. And he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have uh, an advocate with the Father, uh, Jesus Christ the righteous. And so uh, first and foremost, uh, pretty exciting uh, truth that comes out of those first um, verses. And I think um, one of the great things about uh, this first verse is the very fact that as uh, John says, and he's, we know he's writing to believers. We know he's writing to people to assure them of their salvation. How do you know that you know that you know you're saved? And uh, he's writing, and he says there, uh, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. So there's this, um, you know, death to sin, which we'll look at in a few weeks with the children of God versus the children of the devil. But there, the idea here is that once we've become a believer in Jesus Christ, we're no, no longer um, habitually or practicing sin, but we're practicing righteousness. But the reality is we still live uh, in the present day and we live on earth until the Lord takes us home. And so a part of that is living as a believer, as a Christian in a sinful world, and we're not perfect, but we're being perfected uh, to the point of Jesus' return. And the, and the fact is, we're still going to sin. And because we're still going to sin as believers, what John is saying to us is that, you know, I would, I'm writing to you so that you may not sin, but if you do sin, you have an advocate before uh, the Father. And so we know that... Um, Jesus, uh, he ascended into heaven. He ascended and went back to be with the Lord, uh, with the Father, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. and And the Bible tells us that he is an advocate for us. An advocate is um, uh, in the Greek the Parakletos, which means one uh, called alongside to help. You know, it's a helper, and in, um, in the uh, used in a legal 
term, one who offers uh, legal aid or one who intercedes on the behalf of someone else. And so if you can, you know, close your eyes and picture this for a moment here, you are as a believer of Jesus Christ, you have been uh, cleansed by the blood of Jesus. You uh, have the privilege of being called a child of God. And Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father and he says, that person is mine. I have uh, sacrificed my life for them. And so he is uh, going and advocating uh, for us on behalf uh, of the Father so that we wouldn't have to face the wrath that is to come for the non-believers. Let's look at a couple of uh, cross-references that talk about uh, the advocate. And the first is in Hebrews uh, chapter 7, Hebrews chapter 7, verse uh, 25. And Hebrews 7, 25 says, therefore, he, uh, Jesus, is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for him. So he's always uh, interceding for the believer on their behalf. So he's speaking to God the Father about us and about our position in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9 verse uh, 24, it says, For Christ did not enter a holy place, made with hands a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. And so just think about in the Old Testament, the high priest would enter into uh, the uh, Holy of Holies once a year, and he would make a sacrifice and put blood on the mercy seat and uh, to cover and make atonement for sin. But here, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that Jesus never once entered into the temple to make that sacrifice, but he was the sacrifice once and for all. And now he has position in heaven, and he is uh, in God's presence appearing uh, for us. So he's that advocate who is there uh, before us. And, and what an encouraging thing for us to know and understand is the very fact that Jesus is in heaven interceding on our behalf. And what, what an, an encouragement it is to know that we're not alone in this, that we have the helper, the, the Holy Spirit. The book, the Gospel of John referred to as Jesus would leave uh, this earth that um, he would uh, send us a helper and the Holy Spirit as our helper. It's that same uh, parakletos, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God. He's also called the spirit of truth and he teaches uh, believers all things. He testifies and bears witness about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, you know, sent to believers to uh, be with us forever. And so, so important for us to help and know and understand how important it is for the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so he is an advocate uh, for us uh, before the Father. Look at verse 2, and if you have a Bible, if not, uh, let me read it for you. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. And so now we have this really big uh, word, this word propitiation, uh, which is uh, hilasmos in the in the uh, Greek, and what it means is uh, satisfaction. Uh, the idea here is that uh, Christ, and we know Christ was the satisfaction 
uh, for um, God's wrath. And Jesus satisfied um, the wrath of God uh, because of our sins through his sacrifice. And so uh, look at with, I'm going to turn to Romans chapter 3 verses uh, 24 and 25 and then we'll come back to this whole idea of why we need um, we needed satisfaction for sin. But Romans uh, chapter 3 verses 24 and verse 25 we have uh, these verses that state this. It says that uh, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is Jesus Christ, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. And so that uh, Jesus was put forward as the propitiation. So back in Hebrews chapter 2, uh, verse 17, it tells us about uh, propitiation as well. Therefore, he had to make, be made like his brethren. This is in reference to Jesus. In all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And so the only way that God's wrath was going to be satisfied was because of uh, Jesus' sacrifice, the, the perfect and unblemished uh, lamb being sacrificed on the cross at Calvary for our sins was what was the satisfaction for payment uh, for the sins that we have committed. And so we want to spend just a few moments of our time and uh, look at um, Romans uh, chapter 5. We want to we spend a little bit of time here uh, looking at uh, the doctrine of uh, this whole process and the depravity of man. Why did we need a uh, person or why did we need the sacrifice of Christ to be the satisfaction for the wrath of God? And so uh, looking at Romans chapter 5 starting at verse 12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And so uh, from this point, you go back to um, um, verse 13 says, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. And so, uh, if you've not studied Romans before, this doctrine should still be familiar because this is this is the foundation of our faith. This is this is why we needed Jesus Christ to come to the cross because of uh, the depravity, the total depravity of man. And so we want to look back at, at Genesis chapter three, and let's start from the beginning and see what the problem was uh, that caused uh, the need for uh, this sacrifice. And so Genesis uh, chapter three, we have the story that each and every one of us really probably know. We know about uh, sin and that sin uh, entered into the world uh, within the garden. And verse 3 says, Now the serpent, or verse 1 of chapter 3, Now the serpent was more crafty 
than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And so uh, back in Genesis chapter 2, uh, the Lord commanded the man, so he commanded uh, Adam, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, uh, for in the day you eat it uh, you will surely die. So the command was there from God given to Adam, essentially don't eat that fruit from that tree. And so then in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, the serpent comes before Eve and, and poses the question to Eve, did God really say that you can't eat of that fruit? Uh, but the fruit of the tree, uh, which is in the middle of the garden, God said, you shall not eat from it or touch it, is what uh, the woman said. And so uh, God says, you shall not eat from it or touch it, in verse 3, or you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows in the day that you eat the fruit, eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband uh, with her and he ate. And then in verse 7 it says, Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves holy coverings. In that moment, the moment that Eve gave the fruit to Adam and Adam took a bite of it, that was the moment that sin entered into the world. And uh, that was the moment that um, was about to bring judgment upon Adam and Eve and they would be kicked out of the garden because they did not obey God. And so right here, this, this we know and we can term as uh, what we call uh, the original sin, the first sin within the Bible. And uh, this is um, the sin that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 5, that just as uh, through one man's sin entered in the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. And so what you have here is that you have Adam sinning and then in verse 8 of Genesis chapter 3, they heard the sound of the Lord of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the men and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees. Then the Lord God called to man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded? By the way, God already knew he did. And so uh, you have not to eat. And the, man said, and the woman said, uh, you know, they basically tried to blame each other for what was going on here. But here's the, um, the judgment that comes upon uh, Adam and Eve. The Lord said to the serpent first, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than any every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and the dust you will eat in the, in the days of your life. 
and I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between you and your seed, and she, he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Right there's the beginning and the first points to the gospel in Genesis chapter 15 to the woman. Uh, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth and in your uh, pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And then to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and toil you will eat of it all of the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles shall grow from you, and you'll eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground. Because from it you were taken, from the, uh, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now the man called uh, his name Eve, because she was, and the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and closed them. So two things that have happened here immediately. God brings judgment upon Adam, and he tells Adam that because of the sin that you have committed, you will return to the ground and you will die. Before, uh, before this original sin, there was no death. There was no uh, reason for Adam to return to the ground at any time. But after the sin, death entered into the world. Not only did death enter into the world when Adam would eventually die, because he didn't die right away, but God made an animal sacrifice to create garments of skin uh, for Adam and Eve to clothe them. And so out of this original sin came the first animal sacrifice and the first death that occurred uh, because of Adam's sin. So just uh, as one sin entered in the world, death through sin, and so death spread to all men. The reality is that before you and I were ever born, that uh, we are all born into sin. That is inherent sin. The very fact that we were born into sin because of Adam's original sin. And so uh, there's three types of sin that we're going to quickly look at here because these are the... Uh, the basics of the depravity of man. So there's inherent sin, the fact that we are born into sin because of the original sin that Adam had. Our world is now a sinful world. Uh, there's imputed sin. That is sin that is uh, counted against all men. Because we are born into sin, we now have a credit on our account, which uh, we are sinners because of Adam's sin. So uh, Romans 5, 12 to 21 talks about this sin that spread from one man to all men. And so because of that, we all have sin on our account. We are born into this world as children of wrath. We don't have a good standing before God the moment we enter into this world. And so therefore, uh, we need um, something to... Uh, take us away from that life of sin, that life that has been uh, imputed upon us. Then there is uh, personal sin, so inherent sin, imputed sin, and uh, personal sin. Romans chapter 3 uh, verse 10 tells us that uh, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one, uh, there's no one who understands and there's no one who seeks God. Uh, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so 
Each and every one of us are sinners. Now remember, John says, I'm writing to you so that you will not sin. So once that uh, covering of Jesus Christ, once we have this advocate before us, um, the desire is that we would live a righteous life according to 1 John. But this idea of the depravity of man is that we uh, have sin, we're born into a sinful world, that we have sin against us from the very beginning because of the sin that Adam had. And then we have this personal sin, the, the sin that we choose to do, the sins that we choose to practice. And so uh, these are all things that are accounted to get against us that cause us to have a major gap between being uh, in the world and in the presence of God. And so therefore, we needed to have um, a sacrifice that would be made once and for all to save us from our sins. And so here's uh, what we need to be uh, reconciled to God. And this will help us come back to uh, 1 John chapter uh, 2, which is uh, we need to have redemption. We need to have redemption from our sins. We need to uh, have that uh, sin taken off of our account. And the only way that we can have redemption from sin is through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. And so that's the only way his one-time sacrifice for all sin uh, was made when he was nailed to the cross over 2,000 years ago and uh, his blood was shed for us. So first we need to have redemption to be reconciled to God. Then we need propitiation, which is uh, God's wrath that was satisfied with the price. That his wrath, okay, so God's wrath was satisfied with the blood of Jesus Christ. And so then we need to have uh, justification. So first, redemption, propitiation, justification, which is, uh, which is when a man believes and puts his faith in Jesus. He believes in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He repents of his sins and he leaves his old life behind. And now he walks as a child of God, living a life that is righteous. So that is justification that is by faith, not by works, but by believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that that was done for the forgiveness of our sins. So then we need to have first redemption, propitiation, justification, and then imputation, which is righteousness credited to us when we believe in Jesus. So the very fact that when uh, we're born into this world, we have sin credited to us. That sin is then removed. And Psalm says that our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west when we have a belief and faith in Jesus Christ. And the very fact is that when our sin is removed and we're justified by faith, we now have righteousness credited to us when we believe in Jesus Christ. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God and therefore we have reconciliation. So you see how important it is in the book of 1 John when he says that uh, he himself, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. This gift of Jesus Christ, this uh, satisfaction 
for sin, this payment, this uh, thing that satisfies God's wrath, Jesus Christ, is not only available for you and for me, but it's available for the whole world. But let's be careful when we say the whole world, because our hope is that the whole world will come to know Jesus, but the reality is it's the ones who will believe in Jesus, in his faith, in his death, and his um, in his death and his resurrection. It's those who will believe in the gospel that will receive uh, this um, justification by faith. That that the sacrifice of God will sat of Jesus will sacrifice God's wrath, but it's only for those who believe. It is a gift for the whole world, but we know that there are people who reject the gospel. And there are people who will choose not to believe that Jesus died on a cross, that he was buried for three days, and that he was resurrected. I believe that there is work that needs to be done through the Holy Spirit, that God draws men to him. And so if your heart is a heart of stone, God needs to do some work for you to believe this. Can you just picture for a moment what, what the Christian faith is? what we're calling uh, people to believe when we share the gospel. We're calling to uh, people to believe that God himself came and he was born through a virgin Mary. And for 33 years, he lived on this earth. And for three years, he served God. And at one point, God spoke from heaven and said, this is my son, in whom I am well pleased. And then Jesus, he performed all kinds of miracles, but the greatest miracle that he ever performed was when he was on the cross. And then when they, the soldiers took him off the cross and he was buried in the tomb, that after three days he rose from the dead and he appeared to many. And he appeared to the disciples and then to more than 500 brethren at one time. In this day and age, we're asking people to believe that this is what brings forgiveness of sins. You and I, we may believe this and because we have, we have studied and grasped the word of God and we believe it is truth and we have seen it change our lives, but it really is the work of God that brings us to the point of helping us to understand these truths. And so uh, the very fact that we have this uh, propitiation, the satisfaction for God's wrath, and we have an advocate before the Father is quite an amazing uh, thing for us to grasp. But we should be telling ourselves over and over and over again how important it is to remember the gospel and what God has done in our lives. Because if he did not send his son, we would still be an enemy of God and therefore facing his wrath. Then he says in verse 3 of 1 John chapter 2, he says, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So now there's some practical things that uh, we have to look at really quickly before we wrap up today. But the very fact is that uh, if we know that we have an advocate before the Father, if we know that... Uh, Jesus was the propitiation for our sins, then our lives should be different. And one of the ways that we know that we know that we know is when we keep his commandments, is when we abide in his word. 
And so one of the signs of a child of God is one who abides in the word of God. And so first and foremost, uh, you have to ask, what is your relationship with the word of God? In Deuteronomy chapter 32, Moses told the Israelites before uh, they were going into the promised land, he said, take these words of mine and put them into your heart. You know, just don't know them. They're not an idle word, but you need to uh, make them a part of your life. So fellowship with the Father is a part of obeying his commands. So look at verse uh, 4. It says, The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. There's a clear distinction between the two. One who is justified by faith, one who is living a life of righteousness, one who has the privilege of being called a child of God, obeys the commands of God. They're living out their faith and they're, they're having a good understanding of the word of God and they're living by it. They're viewing the world biblically, making disciples intentionally. But the one who says they are a child of God and does not obey or keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So there's a distinction here that a believer is one who abides in the word of God. And so if you profess that you are a Christian and yet you don't spend any time in the word of God or being obedient to the word of God, the truth is right here. It says that you are a liar, that the truth is not in you. So your relationship with the Word of God is so important. We need to be studying it each and every day. You know, one of the interesting things that we have in our generation now is we have people that so desperately want to hear the voice of God. What is God's will for my life? I so want to know and I want to hear the voice of God. How do I do that? Well, the answer is simple. You get into the 66 books of the Bible and you study. If you want to know about the character of God, you look at the Old Testament. If you want to know about the love and mercy and grace of God, you study the New Testament. But if you really want to come to know your God, you need to study the Old Testament. We spend far too much time in our churches just looking at the New Testament. But the reality is God is a just God, and God is a God who does have judgment, who does have wrath, but he's also a loving and merciful God that provided Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins. And so what's your relationship with the Word of God? Are you obeying his commands? Are you living a life that reflects that you have a love for his word? I can remember Kay Arthur asking at a conference once and saying, how many books of the Bible do you think God wants you to know? And some of the people in the conference would be kind of staring around. And before anyone could answer, she'd say, 66. That's right, God wants you to know each and every single book of the Bible. He wants you to study Genesis because Genesis is the foundation of the world. If you don't believe that God created the earth in seven days, how can you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead in three days? This is why it's so important for us to have a good foundation in the Word of God. 
The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has been truly perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought to himself walk in the same manner he has walked. And so this is where we're going to wrap up our time together. But you see, the difference between a believer and one who says is a believer is also reflected in the way that they walk. And so the question that we have to pose is, well, what does your walk look like? Do you walk in a manner worthy of the gospel? Or are you walking in a manner of the world? What are your priorities? What are the things that uh, you are focused on? In this world, in this day and age, so many people are uh, putting all of their hopes and dreams in the hands of a political leader. It doesn't work that way. Many of them still man living in their own depravity without Jesus Christ. And we're expecting great things for them and from them. And yet God is the one who is in charge. And so we should be walking in a way that reflects the glory and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should be walking in a way that reflects that we are children of God. We should be obedient to his commandments. We should be living a life that reflects love. And that's what we'll begin to look at over the next few weeks is is this idea of love being perfected in us and then being sent out of us toward the brethren. He says in verse 7, Beloved, I'm not writing to you a new commandment, but an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment to you, which is true and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. And the one who loves his brother abides in the light. There is no cause for stumbling in him. I think the reality is that we're seeing three things here in the life of a believer that indicate we truly stand before him and can have confidence that we're a child of God. The first is that we are obedient to his commandments. The second is that we are walking in a manner worthy of the gospel, as Paul says in Philippians. And then the third is that we have a love for the brethren. You see, the first commandment that he's referring to is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The second commandment he's referring to there is love your neighbor as yourself. See, the connection there is love the Lord your God. Well, how do you love the Lord your God? Well, the only way that I know to get to know my God is by studying his word. And the only way I know that I'm going to be able to love my brother is because the Word of God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, 
is completely changing my life to make me walk in a manner worthy of the gospel that I actually want to reach out and love others. You see, when we're in total depravity of man, our only focus is ourselves. We don't have a desire to love the brethren. We may have a desire to meet social injustices or fight for some rights, but it may not be for pure love, but maybe an agenda. But here the case is different, that as we grow in the word of God, as we walk in a manner worthy of him, as we understand our position in Jesus Christ, the outward action is love. Love for the brethren. And this is what uh, Derek and I are going to look at with you in our next podcast. So let me wrap up with saying this, that outside of Jesus Christ, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are living completely separated from God. There is no way to cross that canyon. There's nothing you can do on your own. There's no works. There's no uh, good deeds that you can do to cross that canyon, to put yourself in the presence of God. The reality is that good people don't go to heaven. The reality is people that who are saved by Jesus Christ, those who are born again, those who are uh, having the privilege of being called a child of God, those who believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, will one day stand in the presence of God and so how about you? Is that what's missing in your life? Are you missing a relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you struggling in your daily walk to study the Word of God? Does your walk even reflect that you profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Some really interesting things that we've covered this week. We've looked at Jesus as an advocate. We've looked at uh, propitiation, the depravity of man. And the very fact that a believer in Jesus Christ uh, walks according to his word, walks according to the gospel, walks according to the light, and loves his brethren. Man, I'm so looking forward to the next few weeks. Let's pray together. Father God, we do thank you again for the time that we have. We thank you for the truths that we've learned today. Father, so thankful for Jesus Christ, that he is the propitiation for our sins, that, Father, his sacrifice, his blood, satisfied your wrath. For, Father, without that, we were your enemies destined for wrath and destined for destruction, destined for judgment. But the book of Ephesians chapter 2 has a statement there, Lord, that says, but God, in his mercy and in his grace, sent Jesus Christ for our sins. So thankful for that, Lord. 
Now we have the privilege of being called a child of God. Help us fall in love with your word. Help us walk in a manner worthy of the gospel and help us to walk in the light. And Father, we are so thankful that your son now sits at the right hand and he advocates for us. He speaks on our behalf for the life that we live here. Thank you again, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. For more information on Precept Ministries Canada, visit us online at www.preceptministries.ca or call us at 877-234-2030.